the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when God Amen. Today, my beloved, is the fourth Sunday of the blessed month of Kiyak. And if we recall, during this month, we read the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. The first week in Kiyak, we read about the Annunciation of the birth of St. John. The second week, we read about the Annunciation of the birth of our Lord from Archangel Gabriel. The third, last week, we spoke about the visit of uh, uh, St. Mary to Elizabeth. And this week we hear about the birth of St. John the Baptist. And of course, on the feast, we'll hear about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reading from today, this last part in the, in the first chapter of Luke, there are three accounts that happen here that revolve around the birth of, our, uh, of John the Baptist. The one is his birth, his actual birth. The second is his circumcision, which happened on the eighth day. And then it speaks about the prophecy of Zechariah, and we'll speak briefly about these three points. <clears throat> it says in the beginning that when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So the people rejoiced with Elizabeth in the birth of her son uh, John. And sometimes, my beloved, we find it difficult to rejoice with other people. But perhaps, you know, these people around her were rejoicing with her. They maybe found it easy because they perhaps had children when they were young. You know, I think I mentioned yesterday, it's very easy for us to share in somebody else's joy if I already have that thing. But it's far more difficult if I don't have it. You know, imagine another woman at the time who was barren, never had children, and then she sees Elizabeth giving birth at her old age to a son. It would be more difficult for this woman to be happy for her. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes we find it difficult to rejoice with others because either we're jealous of them or we're competitive with them. We feel like we're in a competition with each other. And these two things keep us from rejoicing with each other. If you remember in the Old Testament, um, Saul, what began his hatred towards David was this sense of jealousy and the sense of competition. After they went to battle and they came back, the people started rejoicing for David. And they said, Saul killed his thousands, but David what? His ten thousand. So although they're both fighting on the same team, they're both for the people of Israel, at the end of the day, when Israel succeeds, it looks good on the king. But still... Saul felt that this was now a competition between him and I. The people are clapping, giving him more credit than me, although I'm the king. This began uh, the, the cause of all of Saul's problems with David. So we see in the birth of our uh, St. John the Baptist that the people rejoiced with Elizabeth. The next part is about the circumcision. And the circumcision was done on the eighth day after birth. <clears throat> and this was the time that the child was named. You know, it's easy to wait eight days to name a child. But again, usually now we choose names during baptism, but we don't wait 40 days and 80 days to name the child. We usually name them in the hospital before we leave because it's just a long time. Um, <clears throat> but in the old custom, this eighth day was the day where they name uh, the child. Um, and also... The circumcision was the day in which they officially became a, a person of the people of God. Just like in our baptism, we officially become Christian the day we come out of the baptismal font. So it was the same for them 
with circumcision. That's why circumcision was like a foreshadow of what baptism would be in the New Testament. And they were given these names, and oftentimes the names that they were given had significance and meaning, and they were attributed to God. For example, Daniel. The name Daniel means God is my judge. So it has to do with their God. Michael means the one who is like God. Mean John the Baptist, if we noticed in the reading today, when Elizabeth said that his name is John, and they motioned to Zacharias to confirm, is this true or not? He didn't write, when he wrote down, he didn't say, his name shall be John. But what did he say? Did you pay attention? His name what? Is John. Meaning what? That his name was John already. When was he named? If you remember from the uh, two weeks ago when we read the, the passage of the Annunciation of his birth, Archangel Gabriel told him that his name shall be John. So how did Elizabeth know his name is John? If after if the Annunciation was given to Zacharias and he was mute, and actually most likely he was deaf as well because they motioned to him with his hand. If he heard, it seemed like he didn't hear what was going on. That's why they motioned to him. And Taban being a priest, he knew the ceremony of the circumcision, and he knew at the time where the name was pronounced. So they motioned to him, and then he knew to write it down. So most likely he was and he deaf and mute at the same time. Um, so how did St. Elizabeth know? Again, because of this was a revelation from an angel, and of course he, he came home and he, all of a sudden he couldn't speak. You know, I'm sure his wife, although she was happy about this, she questioned what happened, right? And he probably told her, and he wrote down for her what happened, and his name will be John, so that's why probably she knew. And when we choose names, <clears throat> nowadays in our society, we choose them for various reasons. We choose them maybe because they sound good. Um, people now just, instead of thinking of a meaning for a name, they just go to Google and say, what names sound good with this? Um, sometimes we name them, or a common name or an uncommon name. There are some families, perhaps if they come maybe from Egypt or another country, they say, I want to name my child a name that's common here so it doesn't get made fun of or anything. And on the contrary, some people maybe who grew up here saying, you know, I want a unique name. I want a name that's not common so he's the only person or she's the only person in the church or in the community with this name. Sometimes we name our children after our intercessor or after perhaps... Uh, a person or a saint whom we'd like our child to grow up to one day emulate. And there are also names we avoid. Because you'll find like maybe a husband or somebody will come and say, honey, what do you think about this name? And it might be a beautiful name. But then she recalls to mind of somebody who was in her class from the third grade who bullied her or something like that. And it's just a bad taste in her mouth. She's like, I can't name my child that name because I always remember this negative experience. Right? So we also avoid names based on that. But in the biblical time, this wasn't really even you know, something to consider. They chose their names very carefully, and they carried meaning, and they were very significant. Um, it was, they weren't concerned with how it sounded or what it meant. And if you read the Old Testament, this becomes very clear very quickly. If we remember the story of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was calling the people to repentance before the Assyrian captivity. So he would call them to repentance and say, you know what, God will accept you if you come back. And his whole life is a message from God, not just his word. 
to the point where God instructed him to marry a harlot. And then she played harlotry after marriage. And then he went and even paid money to get his wife back. And then they had three children together. The first of his children was named Jezreel. And this symbolizes the punishment that God was going to bring. So the first child was named a name that meant that God's going to bring punishment to his people. This was her name. The next the next child, her, uh, her name was Lorohama, which means not pitied. Which of course means, or symbolizes that God was going to withdraw his favor. He's not going to pity the people of Israel anymore. Imagine growing up as a child and my name is not pitied. Again, you know, we look at this and say, Haram al-Wed, why? But again, it was the meaning that was behind it. And then the last of his children was Lo'ami, which means not my people. So imagine, again, growing up, your name means like an outcast. you know. But again, the message was that he's the prophet and the son of the prophet. He named the child that God, or you are not my people, meaning God will reject you if you don't repent. And the about St. John, because he was the firstborn, typically at the time that the firstborn child was either named either after the mother or father, if male or female, or after one of his relatives. Um, and this was the common practice. That's why when he came and, they, and Elizabeth said John, the people said, why? There's nobody in your family that's named John. Why would you name him this name? And if you think of it... <clears throat> um, uh, uh, the name Zacharias is not like a, a bad name. Um, it's uh, it's really it's actually a fairly good name, um, and I'll, I'll mention this in just a minute. But the word John or the name John means that God is a gracious giver. God is a gracious giver, and this is why, of course, the angel named him this name because he came to proclaim the greatest gift that humanity will ever ever see. And this is the gift of the Son of God Himself who came to give life eternal to every human uh, being. So this is why the angel named him. They didn't leave it up to his parents because of the significance of his ministry as being the forerunner. So of course the people were filled with awe. Perhaps if we look at this we can say, okay, um, the name that was given to me at baptism. You know, Typically, people will give them a new name or a different name either than the name that they're traditionally named. Why is this? It's because this is the time of consecration. It's the time where, okay, I'm no longer dead, but I'm alive to Christ. I'm no longer of the world, but I'm a child of God. So it's a sign of consecration. So we want to think about this time now, if we think about the circumcision of John or our own baptism. It's a time in which we consecrated my life to God. So am I living my life in a way that I'm consecrated to God, or I just give him a portion of my life. The Lord said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, everything, not just some. He wants a full consecration. How else can we be light to the world and salt to the earth if it's not everywhere? No one will know that we're salt or light if unless they come to church and they see me in this atmosphere. But they will know who we are when they see us outside in the world interacting in a godly way. Then will they look at us and say, you're the child of God, and I can see that. Lastly is the prophecy of Zechariah. <clears throat> sorry, Zacharias. And it said, they began this 
uh, prophecy and he said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. So Zacharias was overfilled with joy. And you might say maybe he was so joyful because all of a sudden he can speak now. He wasn't being able to speak, you know, uh, for nine months and now he's all of a sudden able to speak. But actually mentions nothing about his muteness or his inability to speak. This was not the source at all of his joy. To be honest, probably he enjoyed not being able to speak. Um, but he was filled with joy. Why was he filled with joy? We can see it in his prophecy because he mentions two, his prophecy has two parts. The first part was regarding the coming of the Messiah. Thus, this is why we hear him say many words that revolve around the Messiah and salvation. He says like the words salvation, there's deliverance, there's victory over enemies, and there's a covenant. He's restoring the covenant. So all of these things, they're about the Messiah and the coming Messiah, and that his son John is now an active participant in the salvation of the world. The second part of his prophecy was regarding his son directly. His son directly. And he says that he will be the one who will go before the face of the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. What does this mean? This means to prepare other people for God. To prepare people to receive God. This is what made his father happy. That his son was going to be somebody who is going to be a bridge between God and the people. This is what brought him as a father joy. If I can ask us parents, what makes our kids great in our eyes? What makes our kids great in our eyes? For the males, is it because they're athletes? Because they're fit? Or is it because they're smart? If they're females, is it because my daughter is beautiful? Is that what makes them great? Or is it because they'll be rich one day? Maybe they're popular among their friends? Or maybe that they're powerful, they have a say in their community? And they carry a position of power and authority? Is this what makes our kids great in our eyes? Does this make them praiseworthy? What do I praise my children for? Can we teach our children what makes them worthy of praise? Is their faithfulness to God and to the church as St. John did, or as St. Zacharias did? Instead of thinking of his own popularity, Zacharias was concerned about making bridges between God and his people. This is what made him happy. Made him happy to see his son to be an instrument in the hand of God. And I think we communicate this to our children, how we praise them. Is everything revolving around, you know, their grades, their image, their athletics, their beauty? Is this what we praise them for? Habibti, you're so beautiful in the stress, you're so this and this. But when they do acts of charity, they say, Yalla Habib khallas. You have a toys for tots or something you want to do for school, khalas will get it and go ahead. There's no praise followed with something like this. We need to learn to teach our children and praise them to become instruments in the hand of God. So when they grow, they're fairly grow, they're fairly, and they'll grow into instruments in the hand of God. And they'll realize that what made my parents happy was that I was an instrument in the hand of God. And certainly what makes God happy is the same for us. Today, my beloved, there are three things yani, that uh, we spoke about. As much as I can, yani. أول حاجة كان الولادة بتاع يوحنا يعني من إليزابيث ونحن قلنا الناس كلهم فرحوا بالولادة دي 
وقلت يعني ازاي احنا ممكن نفرح مع الناس اللي حوالينا وازاي يعني ساعات لما غيران من حد او في كده ما بين بعض ما اقدرش افرح مع الناس فريت نفكر في الموضوع ده ازاي نشكر ربنا على كل حال وحتى لو ما عنديش حاجه ممكن افرح مع الناس الثانيه وتاني نقطه كان على الختان وقلنا الختان زي المعموديه احنا بنكرز حياتنا للمسيح في الختان ده ونسال نفسينا طب هل انا عايش حياتي مكرسه للربنا ولا لا وانا عايش هنا في الكنيسه وبر حاجه تاني طب الناس هيعرفوا ربنا ازاي لو انا عايش بس عشان ربنا جوه الكنيسه واحنا عايزين نبقى نور للعالم معناها ايه ناخد النور ده ونطلع بره عشان كده واحنا طالعين من الكنيسه بنقول اخر حاجه بنقول بخريستوس بنوتي امين اساشوبي سو وي سين كرايست اور جاد اند وي ليف ذس بناخد المسيح ونطلع بره بيه عشان ننور العالم بالمسيح بنور المسيح واخر نقطه كانت على النبوه بتاع زكريا واحنا قلنا في حاجتين في النبوه دي النبوه اول واحد كان بيتكلم على مجيء المسيح وازاي هو كان فرحان عشان كده والتاني حاجه كان فرحان عشان ابنه كان ربنا بيستعمله للخدمه وده حاجه كانت بتفرح قلب زكريا ويريد كلنا كابات واهل يعني نفرح باولادنا ونعلمهم اللي بتفرحنا احنا لما هم يشاركوا في عمل الله وفي عمل الكنيسه. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.